1: Welcome back to Working Overtime, the advice-focused Huey, Dewey, and Louie to Working's Donald Duck. I'm Isaac Butler.
2: And I'm June Thomas. Isaac, what have you got for us today?
1: I've got some fairly sore hip flexors (laughs) because I overdid it working out this morning, but I also have an art-related project I want to talk about, which is... I just have this thing that I think you'll be particularly helpful with, which is garbage time. No, I am not talking about dumping out your trash. Although, you know, I know you had to do a lot of that when you moved. (laughs) I'm talking about what you do when things aren't working out, when they aren't clicking, when the inspiration won't come, when every sentence or brushstroke or note you write down is just excruciating. When you're in a slump, creatively, professionally, spiritually, how do you navigate it? How do you get through it?
2: I know just exactly what you're talking about, but why did you want to talk to me about this, Isaac? What are you saying?
1: No, no, June, June, I didn't mean it that way. No reason to get paranoid. (laughs) I want to talk to you about this because you are so well read in the world of productivity and creativity and advice and i just have a feeling that you have a lot of deep knowledge about this but before we get to that let me just ask do you ever feel these kinds of slumps either the creative ones you know oh writing is just not coming out right now or the professional ones like why am i doing this why am i not a goat farmer what's the matter with me
2: I can honestly say I've never wanted to be a goat farmer or anything else that involved working outdoors. But yes, I have definitely experienced moments, nay, days where writing just seemed impossible. And I had both crises because I did at that point wonder if I could possibly learn to do decent latte art and get a job as a barista. I've never actually gone as far as trying to test that, though. What about you, Isaac?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, people go through quarter life crises. People go yes. through middle life crises. You know, mm-hmm. I went through a, a big quarter life crisis. What kind of artist do I want to be? kind of thing that led to me applying to graduate school and kind of uh, de-emphasizing theater and focusing on writing. That's when I feel like I had the last real what does it all mean kind of crisis. Because like, even when I wrote the first book that I wrote didn't sell and I eventually stuck it in a drawer, right? Like that was really hard and painful, but I didn't think, why am I doing this? I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with something else now, you know? But creatively. Sure. I mean, slumps and fallow periods happen pretty regularly. We, we had a guest on working at one point, the amazing choreographer, Annie B. Parson. And then when I asked her, do you ever get blocked or, you know, what do you do when you get creatively blocked? She could, I don't, I don't experience that. Ooh. And my mind was blown because, yeah. you know, I don't quite feel in a slump right now, for example, but I do feel a real struggle to get the motor of the new book I'm writing started. I'm not even talking about writing it. I'm just talking yeah. about researching it, thinking about it. You know, that moment where like sort of everything you do during the day, sort of no matter what it is, even if it's scrambling eggs, (laughs) relates back to the book. I just haven't gotten there yet. I'm priming the pump. I'm pulling the cord. The motor's just not catching. and, And I'm honestly starting to get kind of frustrated about that. I know it'll happen in the future. I know that it's just I don't have enough free time right now. But... I'm not sure that, hey, just wait it out and it'll happen eventually is Mm. the best advice exactly. But sometimes that's actually what you need to do is just relax, you know, are there particular circumstances where you have had to just keep the faith and wait it out?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I know that for me, there are days when there just isn't any point in me forcing myself to sit at my desk because I'm just too tired or too distracted or just not in the mood. And unless Mm. There is an absolutely unskippable, unmovable deadline that means I just can't take a break. It's just better for your health, for your creativity, for your relationship to do something different. And I suspect that even if you do have an unmovable deadline, it's still better if you do that. You know, just put yourself in a different location. Just shake yourself up a little bit. I do think, Isaac, you clearly recognize that it's hard to just start a new project. And so I think that you're right that the kind of thing that we're talking about, let's just call it a slump, is more likely to strike at times when you're still figuring things out, when you don't have a routine yet, when you're not in a groove. I know from previous conversations that when you were writing the method, you had a routine of, you know, you wrote at a certain time of day, you watched movies at a certain time of day, took care of family responsibilities or had fun, like you knew what the day was going to look like. And it's not easy to find the right routine but once you get into it, work just does become easier. Also, writing a new book is like starting a new job. You've got to like get to know the work culture, the people, the weird idiosyncrasies. And when you're writing a book, It might be like figuring out what library databases you'll end up going back to again and again, what kind of material you'll be reading. I know you've mentioned that you read a lot of PhD theses for the method. Well, maybe there'll be something else for this book, congressional testimony, who knows? But it takes a while to figure that stuff out. So, you know, be kind to yourself.
1: Well, we are not going to wait it out any longer. Well, maybe just a little bit longer, actually, because we're <laughs> going to take a quick ad break. When we come back, I'll pick June's brain for advice on the old slumperoo.
2: hey listeners do you have any tips or questions about the creative process get in touch and share your advice and you can email us at working at slate.com or even better you can call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675 that's 304-933-WORK all right back to working overtime
1: so june Let's get into it. You're in the middle of a project or something. You hit the big slump, you know, you just things aren't going well. There's probably some sports metaphor here I could use if I knew anything about sports. And I'm just wondering what advice you've discovered that you found helpful in navigating those moments. I mean, I have to I'm just like Julia Cameron must know something about this. Austin Cleon must know something about this. June surely has read about it.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I don't know if that was intentional, but I think you've actually mentioned the big ones in this area. I do (laughs) think that a book like Austin Kleon's Steal Like an Artist is effectively about getting out of what you might call a perpetual slump, you know, where you feel a really strong vocation to do creative work. You've got a calling, but you just cannot figure out how to start. He gives some really effective, like, okay, here's eight things you can try. Do these things. And I also think that morning pages, as described in Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, are a really good way to kind of clear away mental debris that might also be kind of just weighing you down. So those actually, I think, are really good suggestions. Mm. And are there times
1: when you have self-consciously, you know, tried a strategy or you heard or read about somewhere because you are like, oh, I'm in a slump right now. Let me try the four-sprung dirge technique or whatever. <laughs>
2: There are actually. So I do have an anti-slump strategy and it's something that came up an episode of Working from 2022. When I spoke with the writers and sort of cultural curators, Rob Walker and Josh Glenn, Josh talked about lining up a lot of different kinds of work. For example, on a very basic level, this could be admin that you just have to take care of things you have to write, material you need to read, whatever these boxes are that you're going to kind of slot things into, then if the writing just isn't coming, do some admin. If you're, you know, just not able to research today, maybe try some writing, you know, whatever it is, just just have different tasks of different types that you can turn to when the thing you're trying to do doesn't Come And, you know, it's important that this be real work that really needs to be done. Do not just, you know, make up some task that really isn't necessary. But there are always things that really need to be taken care of. We just usually don't get to them.
1: Mm, Totally. You know, I also think we should probably differentiate between big long-term projects like plays, books, murals, (laughs) films, whatever, where if you're in a creative slump, you really can take some of that time to do other work-related stuff, project management, research, you know, and you're still working towards a larger goal. But then there's also shorter-term stuff you've been commissioned to do something it's due in a week, you know, where even if you're slumping, you still have to get that work done, you know, in those circumstances, you need to fight through it, right? How do you approach that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think this is where you have to think of writing or whatever your artistic job is as being just like other jobs. Does a file clerk feel like filing? Doesn't matter. That's the job. (laughs) And, you know, it's like if it was so easy, why are we having this whole episode? Well, because you just cannot make yourself do that very often. But sometimes you just gotta. Yeah. You know,
1: I think of it like not to like riff on our catchphrase, get back to work, but actually it's like just Do something, just start somewhere. Like one thing that I've noticed is I've written a couple pieces recently where just like I was really struggling to get them started or just to conceptualize them or whatever. And I just be like, okay, it's due in this amount of time. You have enough time to write it. Just like today. Just. You know, make a list of everything you want to talk about in this piece and then break off two of them and write about those two things. Don't even think about how they're going to connect. Just write something on this list. Write a paragraph about each of these things. And then tomorrow you'll look at those and something will spark. And almost every time that really works. That's not to say the writing got any more fun, but at least like I got it done. I made the deadline, which is ultimately what what matters. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, no, I think that is actually just a classic technique that even when you're a very sort of conscious writer you've done this a lot of times you know you can't think about the overall project you've got to break it down but it's hard to do that but find the smallest possible amount, even if it's some days you just can't can't settle so okay i'm just going to sit here for five minutes five minutes anybody can sit still and and try for five minutes and just do little things like that and if you have to you have to and that's one way of getting it done
1: in a way it's like quitting smoking have you ever quit smoking no no, okay. Because I
2: never started.
1: Because you never start, we should clarify for listeners: you're not a smoker, <laughs> no.
2: despite
1: being from the UK and in the era in which you're from. You yes. know, when you quit smoking, you you think I'm not going to have a cigarette for 15 minutes, uh-huh. and then you're like, ah, I'm not going to have a cigarette for 15 more minutes. And Then eventually you can go, I'm not going to have a cigarette for an hour, and then eventually you go a day, and then you know, eventually it becomes never, right? Because right. you the right. physical and 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 psychological thing you know ruptures. It is kind of like that. You know, often we talk about breaking the art down into little. Things and then doing them. What I think is different about this is that you're not thinking about doing it linearly. You're just picking a random thing and doing it, and that's all you got to do. And you know, I've had days where it takes all day to write five sentences, yeah, because it's been it's just going so badly. And what I have learned, and this is only after writing the method that I really learned this, is to be like, hey it took all day, but I got five sentences done. As opposed to, (laughs) I spent this whole fucking day and all I got done was five sentences. You know, it it really is an important shift in thinking. Totally. Sometimes though, the slump is deeper. You know, you have trouble even doing the researching or the project management because a part of you is like, I should just return the advance. I, I I pitched the wrong book. Or why am I even bothering to be a writer? You know, um, it's time to set my paintings on fire and take to the sea as a merchant marine, you yeah, know? Yeah. H- how do you reconnect with the joy of creation in those
2: moments? So for me, I think this is a time where you just kind of spoil yourself. If you're having trouble getting into a topic, say, read One of the books or articles that you think is going to be really useful and that you'll enjoy reading. Don't try to slog through, you know, an academic article that you think might be useful, but it's probably going to be really boring. Like when you're in this feeling of slumptitude, that's not the time to tackle that kind of task. Is there something you love? Allow yourself to do it. For example, when I'm doing research, I just love flipping through like slightly obscure publications and like looking around, you know, looking at the ads. What were they reviewing that week? You know, what were the news clips? That is never almost a high priority task, but it's so fun to me. And it's, you know, quietly useful. It's not a waste of time. So if there's something like that that you just know you'll have fun with and it is even slightly useful, this might be the time to reward yourself with something like that that you'll enjoy. And will hopefully, hopefully, mm. spark some ideas. Do you ever do that?
1: Yes, totally. But I'm going to go even further than that. Maybe you need to reconnect with enjoying art period. And maybe that might mean that you just have to like read a book that you haven't read by an author you love that has nothing to do with the project you're working on just so that you can rediscover that you love reading, you know, or uh, go to a museum and just pick a random room at, you know, I live in New York city. So I'm going to mention a New York museum, but you know, pick a random room at the Met and spend Mm -hmm. an hour there because you just love being in that environment. You know, it doesn't always actually have to be right in line in your project. Of course you, You do that too much and you blow your deadline, yes, or you know, exactly. you don't get anything done. You know, it's all about balance, right? But or you could even reread or rewatch or re-experience a favorite thing, just yes. to reconnect with the part of yourself that fucking loves making art, being part of the culture, you know, being part of this grand conversation we've been having as a species for thousands of years. I think it can be really helpful. But yes. we should also say sometimes. That voice in your head that's saying, this is the wrong project, or you're in the wrong field, or maybe you're not really an artist or whatever it is, sometimes that voice is right. I know people, like I have Ah. a friend who wrote a a really brilliant novel. I'm going to keep this anonymous. So, But a friend who wrote a really brilliant novel, and she was working on the follow-up, and it was just excruciatingly painful. And finally, she got to the point where she's like... I don't know that I really want to write another book. I don't know that writing books is what I really was put on this earth to do. And she's in law school right now.
2: You know, there's things that
1: she cares about in the social justice field, and she wants to be a lawyer so that she can help make a difference in the world. And who knows? I mean, she's young. Maybe she'll return to writing again. I hope she does because she's brilliant at it. But, you know, it turned out that the voice saying this is the wrong thing was correct yeah but how do you know right we all have these what douglas adams calls the long dark tea time of the soul you know (laughs) how, how do you know that it's time to give it all up and pack it all in
2: yeah i just think you have to be open to that possibility you know if you have a really long spell of just not wanting to do your damn job where every day you have to talk yourself up and and just really you know do five different tricks every day to just get any work done uh, You know, it might be time to have some serious conversations with yourself, especially in the world of art where, you know, we're constantly having to fight to get a chance to do something. You know, you have to really work hard to sell a book or to get a grant or to get a commission. And if you still can't figure out a way to do any of that work or certainly to enjoy it, yeah, it might be time to do some serious reflection about what you really want to be doing with your life. There is so much romance in being an artist of whatever stripe and you kind of have to buy into it, but you can also fall for your own bullshit. And I do think that, you know, just imagine what would you do instead? What your friend has done actually sounds like a brilliant outcome. I once did a whole series of working interviews about second acts, people who were I know an attorney who became a rabbi is an actual example. And I will always remember the question I said, so what was the first stage in becoming a rabbi? I said, well, first I had to become a Jew. So, you know, that that was really starting from scratch. <laughs> so, yeah, if if there's something, if there's something that you think you would enjoy doing that would really make a difference, like go for it. And if you can pull the plug before you've sunk too much time into something that's really making you miserable, all the better.
1: You're absolutely right. And when we come back, we will talk about some of the side emotions that can come up during these periods and how to manage them. Stay tuned.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com easy. Ramp.com easy. R-A-M-P easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
2: Listeners, I just want to remind you that if you are enjoying working overtime, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode because missing even one episode could be a tragedy. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would love for you to rate or review the show. It truly does help. And if Overcast is your app of choice, please hit the star to recommend the episode to others. All right, back to the show.
1: June, one thing I've noticed during the old slumparoo is that a <laughs> lot of other emotions arise that can make these periods hard to manage because they're not the positive emotions. It's not joie de vivre. It's not yes. euphoria. It's things like professional jealousy. Oh. Everyone else is reading more, creating more, working harder, getting better reviews, making better work. And they look so good looking while they're doing it. Whereas <laughs> you're a miserable troll in your, you know, hovel under a bridge trying to just, you know, paint one goddamn painting. Mm-hmm. Professional jealousy can be so toxic, but it is also unavoidable, particularly when we feel things aren't going well. How do you personally handle professional jealousy?
2: I have two very specific strategies and the speed with which I can answer this question reveals that, yes, I am familiar with this response. So the first one is very lo-fi and it is journaling. I am not a mega journaler, but when I recognize personal jealousy or I'm just feeling envious or mad about something that is beyond my control, I find that just spewing it onto paper can bring down the temperature of my feelings in a way that, just kind of releases it and I can just get on with life. And the other is to try to be hyper rational, you know, and I'll give you a concrete example. I was having trouble writing one section of my book, actually one paragraph. It was maybe even just going to be a few sentences, but I wanted to include it and it just wasn't flowing. And Then I read an article on the same topic and it was so perfect. It just sent me into a tailspin, but it was a New Yorker piece, for God's sake. You know, I had to remind myself that I was comparing my halting first draft with a highly polished, like it was the the 150th version that was produced with the help of some of the best editors in the business. Like, what on earth was I doing, even? putting myself, you know, just even starting that conversation. So I just had to do some very harsh self-talk. And fortunately, it really was a stupid thing to be thinking about. So I was able to talk myself down. What about you?
1: Yeah, of course I've experienced this. I experienced it a lot more in theater. Oh, my oh, God. I was wow. so jealous all the time. <laughs> uh, and it was one of the reasons why I sort of moved out of it was that that was really poisonous. But yeah, you know, like I recently lost out on a big deal grant that I really oh. wanted and that I wrote a good proposal for and, you know, that that I really worked hard on and and that I frankly feel still feel I should have gotten. Yeah. I saw the list of other people who got it. One of them is, uh you know, someone I'm friendly with online. You know, I'm very proud of him. I'm very happy for him. It's that last push to finish a long-term project. He really needs it. The other three, I was like, oh, come on! <laughs> come on! You know? Um, yes. yes. Uh, I was really mad about it. I was really yep. mad about it. And, of course, if they're better known than you, it's that it was just cronyism. If they're less well-known than you, they're less deserving. You know, there is just no re- you know, there's no logic to it. I feel like the worst thing to do is to deny you feel that way or actively try to talk yourself out of it too hard. Mm. I think the best thing you can do is to kind of combine your two approaches. Be open about it with an audience, socialize it. And by an audience, I mean an understanding friend, your partner, you know, whatever. But as you talk about it, have some self-awareness and humor about it, right? To basically say in advance, I'm going through a rough time. And that's where this is coming from. But God damn it, I can't believe that charlatan got a rave review in the Times, right? (laughs) And then you can both laugh about it, and that defangs it. Everyone really does go through this. So having a bit of sense of humor is important. Like, do you know that poem, The Book of My Enemy Has Been Remaindered?
2: Indeed, by Clive James, although I think it's been so long since I read it or heard it. I
1: I love this poem. I'm just going to read one random stanza from it. And for those of you who don't know, look up the poem. It's brilliant. And it goes on like this at some length. The book of my enemy has been remaindered, and I rejoice. It is gone with bowed head like a defeated legion beneath the yoke. What avail him now, his awards and prizes? The praise expended upon his meticulous technique, his individual new voice. Knocked into the middle of next week, his brainchild now consorts with the bad buys, the sinker, clinkers, dogs and dregs, the edsels of the world of movable type, the bummers that no amount of hype could shift, the unbudgeable turkeys. (laughs) What I love about this is it's so petty, but it's so funny about being so petty. It is okay to be petty. You know, just don't put it in public. Don't put it on Twitter or whatever. Don't write that person an angry email. You know, just be petty with your friends. Shit talk people, gossip, have a good sense of humor and self-awareness about it. Does that make me a monster?
2: Yes, but not for this reason. No, no, no. You are a lovely human being, Isaac.
1: You're just saying that because I turn into a wolf at the full moon, right? <laughs> So we're
2: in different continents, so that's okay.
1: Lycanthrope discrimination. Here.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you're a human being. And to give you an example of my own pettiness, I was reading a book in a completely different genre. It's not anything I, you know, it's not a competitor of mine, a very different field. But I just thought it was like just deeply mediocre. And I was just curious, like how why are people talking about this book? Why am I seeing it? And I looked up reviews and it got like, you know, not glowing, not, not fulsome praise, but it got good reviews. And it, it actually, I was able to turn that into like, wow, well, there's hope for me. You know, my book doesn't have to be brilliant. You know, maybe it'll still do okay. Like you can find some positive for your own self-worth things in even the most sort of petty impulse that you can just can't deny.
1: Yes, totally. Perhaps in closing, I just want to note that, you know, one of the other things that can happen when you're going through a real slump is to feel like it's a personal failing on your part. You know, I think that's part of the professional jealousy or the creative jealousy is like, well, if I was, you know, Don DeLillo doesn't go through slumps, <laughs> does he or, you know, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you invent another person in your head who never goes through this. But actually almost everyone not everyone there are some people who don't but almost everyone goes through this and even the people who never go through slumps are going to go through periods where the public or critics or their friends or whatever don't like their work like it's a bumpy ride it's just no one it's not smooth sailing for anyone it's not a failing on your part don't beat yourself up. And that actually can make it harder to get out of when you think like, oh, I'm the worst. And you enter that kind of period of sort of self-flagellation and self-pity. You know, it's easier said than done not to do that. But to the extent that you cannot do it, don't do that to yourself.
2: Absolutely. Isaac, those are some of the wisest words you, a wise person, have ever said.
1: Well, as werewolves go, you know, I do all right. (laughs) That's all the time we have for this episode, but let me leave you with one last piece of advice. I think you should probably subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have ideas for things we could do better, questions you'd like us to address, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at slate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK.
2: And if you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood. You'll get bonus segments of a lot of the Slate podcasts. You will never hit a paywall on the Slate site and you will be supporting what we do right here on Working.
1: Special thanks to Working Overtime's producer, Kevin Bendis, and Workings producer, Cameron Drews. I was in a bit of a slump with Working Overtime ideas, and I was rescued by three friends who suggested this week's topic. That's Elisa Gabbert, Catherine Nichols, and Jamie Green. Thank you so much for helping me out. We'll be back with a new episode of Working on Sunday and a new episode of Working Overtime in two weeks. Until then, get back to work.